Welcome to season four of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. Over the past three years, we've been featuring exciting guests, real conversations, and actions you can take to reach the biggest possible audience for your work. We'll continue that this season, and we're taking it up a notch as we seek to bring you cutting-edge insights not only about marketing, but about all aspects of your journey as an author. We can't wait to share everything you'll need to be successful in spreading your important work with the world. I'm Becky Robinson, your host for the Book Marketing Action Podcast. I'm also the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence, the author of Reach, Create the Biggest Possible Audience for Your Message, Book, or Cause, and a strategic book marketer, avid reader, runner, mom, and wife. Thank you for choosing to learn with me, and I hope you'll take action as a result of listening to this show. If you benefit from the show, please subscribe, rate, and review to help us reach more listeners. Also, be sure to visit weavinginfluence.com and click the blog tab to find all the notes and links for each show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. I'm your host, Becky Robinson, and I'm so excited today to talk again with Alexa Bigwarf. We met when I was a guest on her show, and I'm so excited that Alexa has this amazing expertise about Amazon. So today we are going to be focusing on demystifying Amazon. But before we dive into our topic, Alexa, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your work in the world? Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And, you know, there's only so much people can be experts of Amazon with the data that's available to us, but thank you for that, (laughs) for that accolade there. Um, Basically, uh, I've spent the last 10 years kind of uh, becoming an author advocate, I think is one of the best ways to describe what I do. I work with authors one-on-one through coaching and consulting. I work with a lot of self-publishing authors, but I also have worked with uh, traditionally and hybrid press uh, authors through a wide variety of things. Um, We offer training and courses, podcasts, blog posts, education. And and my biggest uh, goal is to keep people informed of things that are happening in the industry, resources, tools, people, partners, collaborations. Um, I'm very much a connector in trying to bring people to the right people and services. And our biggest Uh, endeavor each year is the Women in Publishing Summit, which runs the first week of March each year. And it's four big days virtually, but we get together live in Zoom on on writing craft for all, for fiction, nonfiction, children's books, the whole gamut, um, editing, routes to publishing, information about publishing, Q&As with agents, um, marketing, a full day of marketing, and then a full day of uh, business growth tactics and things that you can do to to build so that you're, you're making more money through your, through your, through your book as a tool. And we will have a link to the women in publishing summit in the show notes, and it's not too late to sign up. If you are listening to this, if it's uh, playing live for you. So please check that out. Um, Alexa, I know you're also an author. Do you want to share with our listeners about that as well? Yes. So I actually started as a nonfiction author myself. Um, My first book uh, and how I came to be in this entire industry was uh, after I lost an infant daughter and then started blogging about that and blogged for a couple of years and built a a blogging um, following and all of that around twin to twin transfusion syndrome and the loss of an infant and a twinless twin and all of that. And then I, I decided I wanted to write a book. So I pulled a bunch of people together to do Sunshine After the Storm, A Survival Guide for the Grieving Mother. 
And while that was incredibly cathartic and healing and all of those things, it lit a fire in me um, because I, I really enjoyed the process of learning to do all the pieces of it. So I started doing some parenting books and did some, some books in a series called Lose the Cape. Um, then I realized, okay, I'm building this audience of, of authors because people were coming to me and following me and asking for help as I'm doing this kind of stuff. And um, so I started writing some nonfiction books for authors as well. And then in this last year, I've been wanting to write a fiction book since I was five years old. And in this last year, I finally finished a book that I've been working on for the better part of five years and um, published this fiction book called Four Days in Paris based uh, loosely on real events that happened to me when I was in Paris in 1999 and published that under my pen name, Lexi Haddock. And that was a wild ride. The shift from nonfiction to fiction was was mind blowing, um, but so much fun. And I just, I really fell in love with writing again. Well, I can already tell Alexa that we're going to need to have you on the show again, <laughs> um, because the topic of making a shift from nonfiction writing to fiction sounds fascinating. Yes. And there's at least two or three other episode ideas that I had as you were talking. <laughs> so we will definitely have to have you as a repeat guest. But for I'd today, we to. thank you. So just quickly, how many books have you written yourself? Uh, so it depends on if you count um, co-authored and collaboration books. If you're just talking uh, my books that I've single, I've written by myself and then co-authored, because I think when they're split books, that still counts. I think we're at about 12, 12, 11 or 12. I can't remember. I just counted this up the other day, but now I can't remember if I counted four days in Paris or didn't. <laughs> is that, so. <laughs> and is that across 10 years, Alexa? Yes. Yeah. So I'm kind of slow. I know lots of people that after 10 years have done like 20, 30, 40, 50 books, but I'm working on it. I've been spending a lot of my time creating course content, blog posts, email content. I've been doing a lot of writing. I've been writing my little heart out, but it hasn't been on my books. And that's a really part of my goal for 2024 is to get back to writing more of my own books. Amazing. 2024. We're still, we just started 2023. So maybe I'll start in 2023. <laughs> I was wondering, you're planning ahead on that. Or maybe that's my subconscious telling me, girl, you have too much stuff going on right now. That's 2024. <laughs> well, maybe we can check back in in early 2024 and you can update <laughs> us on your progress. All right. So on the topic of demystifying Amazon, I think that in my journey of supporting authors, there's always been this push-pull, this love-hate with Amazon. Uh -huh. And so I'd love to start with, Alexa, in your experience with authors, why have you found that it's important to use Amazon? It's critical to be on Amazon, to be to be quite honest with you, for a lot of reasons. Um, and one, because Amazon has done such a dang good job of being one of the number one places where people go we also saw how critical it was during COVID and, and because of COVID, a lot of people have become used to doing online shopping that weren't using it primarily before that. Um, it's it's one of the number one search engines in the world. It's one of the top ones. So you have Google and Amazon that are high for a search engine. So even if you go to Google, there's a very good chance if you're searching for a book on Google and Amazon listing is going to come back because they're that good at making sure that the metadata and that they're pushing the books out there and all those or, and products across the border out there. But mo 
I'm just period, because it is used by so many people. And that's the first place a lot of people will go. And if you're out marketing or talking on a podcast or talking to people, a lot of times they're going to open straight up their Amazon and Google the book. And I'm guilty of doing this myself. I'm trying to, uh, as, as an author and as a supporter of local and indie bookstores, I'm trying to get better about that, but it's a habit. It's a habit. That's where I go. And that's where a lot of people go. Well, and I think people do that because if you're a prime customer, you're shipping. It's is free, free shipping. Absolutely. That's a huge draw. Yep. All right. So as we think about Amazon, let's talk a little bit more about it. Um, I see authors getting really concerned about hitting that number one in their category or number one hot new release in their category. So Alexa, is that worth chasing? This is such a tough question to answer because it is a vanity metric in a lot of in a lot of ways. And what I mean by that is that if you really dig into the data and we have done this because we look at keywords research and category research and all of this all the time with our book launches. There are some categories that if you're placed properly in there, you could literally have one book sale in a day and make it to the top of that category. There are other categories that unless you sold thousands of books, you would never make it to the top of that category and they could both be equally as relevant. Um, so you can spend a lot of time getting really um, worked up about where you are in placement, but I would ask you as a consumer, how often do you actually search Amazon for books by category? I'm not going to say that it doesn't help you. Here's how it, let me let me start with here's how it helps you. Here's how it helps you. When you're in the top 10, 25, even 100 books, when somebody's on Amazon searching for, uh, since this is a nonfiction crowd, we'll use a nonfiction topic. You're out there searching for um how to get better SEO on my website, okay? Or how to... Uh, learn how to do yoga. Those books that are in the top of the categories are going to be what comes back in the search hit straight up, straight up. So straight up. I don't know why I just said that, uh, but those are going to be the ones that are ranking on your first page of results and second page of results. And most buyers don't go past the first page of results. So yes, in that sense, it is very good for you to be ranking high in categories when you can, but it's also, we don't really know if it's the category that's driving that, or if it's excellent keywords, not only on the back end, but in your sales, in your title and your sales description and all of those places, it could be based on a lot of things we don't really know. Amazon doesn't share the details on how you wind up number one, how you wind up here and there. We kind of have assessed that it's based on a number, certain number of reviews, certain number of sales, certain number of activity on your on your page, all kinds of things put together. Um, so the, the, it's really hard to say. If you're just chasing for number one, just to be able to put on your book cover, you're a number one Amazon bestseller. I would encourage you not to do that. It's a vanity metric and, and it doesn't mean much beyond hyping up your audience to say, look, I made it to number one. But just because you made it to number one in a category doesn't necessarily mean you're a bestseller. Um, it means you might have sold one book. And in other categories, you might have sold thousands of books and never even broken the top 100. So this is why people get a little bit antsy about it because it's comparing apples to oranges. If I have a friend who's written a book that sold thousands and thousands of copies of her book, but she happens to be in super competitive categories and never makes the top 100. And I sold three books and made it to number one in a category that's not as competitive. Does that make me a bestseller and not her? 
no. <laughs> so, so it's, you know, we could, I, I could probably have an hour long discussion on this topic just by itself, but I think that illustrated why, yes, there are merits to it. You want to be ranking, you want to have sale. The thing is, what, what does it mean to be ranking? It means people are buying your book and people are reviewing your book and people are clicking on your book. So focus on getting people to do those three things. Don't focus on where you are in the category. Focus on getting reviews and getting buyers. So let's talk for a minute about some of the promotional opportunities available through Amazon. What are the benefits of those and how do you recommend that authors use them? Yeah, so the ads platform is very good on Amazon. The AMS ads platform, um, it, it helps really target the activities of buyers and it helps place your book. And I'm sure you've seen this. Everyone has seen this. If you've ever been shopping for anything, the first things that are going to come back are the sponsored items. So you want to be, you want to be the book that comes back when somebody's looking for best healthy recipes books and your book pops up in the top as a sponsored um, item. So that's, that's really positive. And they're not terribly difficult to set up on your own. Um, it can be a little bit difficult to manage them long-term if you have a lot of other things going on there, but there's some great people uh, Brian Cohen, um, who does the Amazon ads challenge. You've got, um, um, Amazon ad school with Mark Dawson. You've got uh, um, Kiki, uh, Kirsten Oliphant, who has some really good ads training. There's, there's people, there's tons of ways to learn how to do it um, on your own. And you can start with a very small budget. Um, I've been consistently running ads on a couple of my books for the last eight years, paying about $150 in sales. And there have been a uh, marketing budget and they're not, um, some months we do really, really well. Some months we barely break even. It just depends kind of on the trends that are happening at the time and all of that stuff. But what I can tell you is that you don't want to try and run ads until you've got at least 50 reviews on your book. Um, this is for a couple of reasons. People really do use reviews to buy products on Amazon. I know it it impacts how I shop at all. Uh, just because you have some bad reviews doesn't mean people won't buy your book. I will look at the one-star reviews and the five-star reviews. And often the one-star review are because either the book didn't jive with them or it didn't answer a specific question that they they had or it didn't um it didn't dig into what they thought which actually people get and I know this is not the topic that we're talking about but but sometimes one star reviews can be incredibly helpful for readers because it can show them a, something that they thought the book was going to do that it didn't do or show someone else that, oh, that that wasn't what I was looking for. I understood the book to be what I needed. I'm not going to use this as a judgment factor. So anyway, reviews help you rank higher. They help you do all kinds of things. They bring more activity on your book and it also helps people decide if they want to um, buy your book. So if you start trying to pay money to send people to your book when there's two reviews on it, there's a good chance that people won't buy it. So now you're just wasting money for the clicks over there when there's not enough there for people to make a decision whether or not they can buy the book. Um, so yeah, so Amazon ads are really your best tool in, in terms of uh, marketing there. And then of course, if you're doing any, any direct marketing, you can use other ad sources to send people directly to Amazon, i.e. you can send people through Facebook ads, through Google ads, through Instagram ads, all of those things. It's just a little harder to, um, to judge the results on that because you can't actually see what happened once somebody hit that page. But if you're looking at your book sales numbers and you had no sales on January 1st and you started ads on January 2nd and now on January 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th, you have sales every day, you can probably guess that your ads are being effective. That's super helpful. And I'm 
so completely aligned with you on the advice to wait until you have a critical mass of Amazon reviews before you start the ads. So let's talk for a moment about Amazon reviews. You're using the benchmark of 50 as being a critical number. Um, And I always have authors ask me, you know, how many. So I'm curious, what advice do you give authors about how many Amazon reviews they need, how many they should try to get, and what's your best advice for ways that authors can get more Amazon reviews? Oh, goodness. This is a hard, hard, hard topic. Like, it seems like it should be something that would be easy to do, but I'm going to tell you what, this is something that has me banging my head as a book marketer against the wall every day, because there's a couple of roadblocks that are just immediately placed in your way and the, with when it comes to the Amazon reviews. And the first is that Amazon will um, decline reviews for seemingly no reason. And for a long time, we thought it was people getting, uh, well, we know that anybody who's associated with you will get declined. So that's, you know, that's kind of a known factor. But then there were other people that we thought maybe were getting declined because they hadn't purchased books until we did a launch last June, where we saw verified purchasers getting their reviews declined for absolutely no reason. And we could not figure out why. It could be that they'd never reviewed anything else before. So Amazon thought it was sketchy. There could, there could be reasons, but I don't know. So there's that that's very frustrating. Um, And you just kind of have to keep asking people to leave reviews. And if Amazon doesn't approve, they don't approve and you just keep moving forward. But the second is that it's really hard for people to get people to actually leave their reviews. Um, We've given out in in one case over a thousand copies of a book to people who promised us some type of review. And at the, on book launch week, we got 52 reviews. I was living. I was livid, but this is part of what happens. And there's a lot of reasons why this happens. And I know as a reader, life gets in the way sometimes. Your life is busy. You've got things going on. When are you going to sit down and read this book? And then you got to go and review it. So I would I would offer you the, the advice to um, make sure that along the way, as you're building your uh, launch team and your advanced readers and all of those, that you're also training them for what it takes to when you want them to leave reviews, how you leave reviews, where to leave reviews, and even give them a sample review that they can tweak to make their own. Because sometimes what stops people is they have no idea what to put in a, in a review. And here's one thing that I thought was crazy because this is my life and my industry. A good friend of mine bought my book when it came out and she sent me a text and she was like, I just finished. I loved it. And she said, uh, and I said, will you please go leave a review for me on Amazon? And she was like, I don't know how to do that. I was like, really? Okay, well, let me tell you how to do that. You go into Amazon and you click on the product and there will be a place that says, can you leave a review? So sometimes you just need to educate people. And she was like, okay, I'll try and figure it out. But she hadn't even thought about the importance of it. So reminding people, reminding people that this is important and it will help you, uh, reminding people, especially if they got an advanced reader copy in exchange for a review. Now you cannot, per Amazon standards, you cannot require an Amazon review in exchange for the book, but you can re- you can require some activity in exchange for the book. So uh, a Goodreads review, you can say, would you please leave Goodreads and or Amazon? Would you post on social media? Would you write a blog post? All those types of things. Um, so yeah, does that answer that question? I think I started going down a rabbit hole and I'm not sure where I was going anymore. No, I think it's awesome. And I love having you reinforce some things that I've said because we've looked at the data about launch teams. And what I typically tell authors is that we see anywhere from 10 to 40% of people who get a book in exchange for a review or other activity right. will, leave, will leave an Amazon yes. review in the first 
30 days or so. Yes. That's about the same stats. I know what you asked now where I went in, like the number of reviews and why, and how many people should shoot for, um, and yeah, we see the same thing, uh, five to 10%, even maybe even less than what you're seeing. And it's incredibly frustrating, but keep asking and reminding people. But uh, the the reason 50, it came up as a number of, of a critical review point for you to aim for is a couple of reasons. 50 reviews looks like a decent number of people are actually reading and buying your book. So it gives confidence to, um, to uh, other buyers. But second of all, again, Amazon does not disclose what their algorithm does, but from what I have heard from other people who spend a lot of time studying Amazon data, something magical happens around the 50 review point where that's where Amazon recognizes your book as legit and starts actually recommending you and putting you in places for other people. Now, again, it depends on the category. If you're in a category with other books that have thousands of reviews, then you may still be way down there. But it, it's just, that's the point where you're starting to look like a, a more legit product out there in their world. Um, and, and in terms of how you continue getting those reviews, you know, it, it, what it boils down to is people actually reading your book and the people that want to read about your, want to share about your book after they've read it will go leave reviews. I haven't asked for reviews for sunshine after the storm in years. And I just happened to be checking the page the other day. And I saw that we were like, I think at 132 reviews or something like that. So, but you know what I did? I have given out so many copies of that, but not for marketing purposes at all. When I wrote that book, the whole goal was to put it in the hands of mothers who need it. And I didn't care if anyone ever bought a copy of it. So I've been donating it to hospitals, sending it out in care packages, giving it to um, organizations that support grieving mothers. And you know what's happened. People are reading it and they're reviewing it. So, um, and, and that's, so, so again, just going back to the whole marketing is get the book into the hands of readers and then follow up with those readers and ask them to review or ask them to share, ask them to give a copy to somebody, anything like that. Um, I've started leaving my new book in um, whenever I travel, I leave it in the free little library in the airport. And I went out for a weekend and when I came back, it was gone. So I put another one there and my, my mom went out someplace and she came back and she was like, it was gone again. And I was like, I'm gonna have to start giving you copies to put in the <laughs> in, in the little library. Library, so what a again. great idea. Well, <laughs> yeah. let, I want to dig a little deeper on something you said, because I think a lot of authors get confused and concerned about something that you said in passing. And let's go back to it. Okay. So you said we know that someone associated with the author can't leave a review. Correct. And so can you say a bit more about that? Because I have, I mean, I have my, my own book as a reference. You know, I purposefully told my team who all read my book, don't leave a review. That's not legitimate. Like you work in my organization, you can't review my book. But I have had clients, uh, former clients, colleagues, others who are not employed by me and their reviews got posted without a problem. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you mean by, you know, associates yes. being so prevented from leaving a review? It's closely associated people that would be biased in somehow when they read the review. So your clients or people in your in your world, even if you know them, are probably, you know, a trust me because I saw this when I saw some of the um, reviews on a book that came back and I recognized the names. Don't always feel obligated to give you a five star review. <laughs> So, um, you know, that that happens. But when it comes to we're looking at like 
moms, dads, sisters, brothers, husbands, wives, best friends, like anyone who is. Um, and one thing I have zero factual data to back this up. It is just a guess that I am making based on activity that I have seen. If anybody is in your house and uses your IP address and they're on your IP address. So like, say your, your neighbor comes over and you're like, will you leave a review on Amazon? And she happens to be on your Wi-Fi because you hang out a lot together. And she goes in and leaves the review from your house. I think they can track that kind of stuff. So I think anybody who's been associated with you there. The other thing that, again, there's nothing to prove this, but I think if you mention someone in your book, it's possible that if that name gets recognized, that it could be um, messed up. Obviously, if it's the editor, the publisher, like I can never leave reviews on any of the books that I've had a part in bringing into the world because I am closely associated and biased. But um if your book, we're colleagues, I could read your book and leave a review on it just because I know you and now have a relationship with you doesn't mean my review would get um, would get uh, rejected. But, you know, obviously refrain from ever saying anything like, I'm so proud of my best friend. She just, you know, launched this book. Those will automatically get declined. Or it's been such a great joy to watch this, you know, watch her progress. Anything personal, leave out of reviews, even if you want to be excited about the author. Um, but yeah, avoid like asking your mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, best friend, you know, people who are closely associated with you, i.e. family members and share the same last name or bed um, are probably going to get <laughs> probably going to get rejected. That is funny. So when my book came out, my stepmother left an Amazon review for me um, and it went through, but we did right. not share the same name. And I like she had asked me if she could or should. And I was, you know, not sure, but she did. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's and you know what the the craziest thing about this is that um, it's so hard to know why they're rejecting reviews because, like I said, um, th th this this woman who launched her book, uh, The Crystal Beads, it's a picture book about the Holocaust, back in um, last June, and uh, through my through my children's book company, and she was messaging me almost every day saying this person said they bought my book and Amazon is rejecting their review, and it was not people who live with her who are related to her, so. It's so hard to know why. And the only thing you can do is, is ask those people to try again, maybe um, maybe change the verbiage around. Maybe there was something in the review that flagged Amazon, um, especially with the topic of her book about the Holocaust. They may have said something about Nazis or something that maybe flagged uh, something. So there's just, you just never know what's causing a rejection. So many mysteries with Amazon. So let's talk for a moment about people who are self-publishing. This is an often heard question. You know, I'm self-publishing through KDP. Is it an advantage to publish exclusively through Amazon or is it worthwhile to expand the distribution of a book? So here's the cool thing. Um, it's always a good idea to have your book available for libraries and retailers because you never know where people are going to want to go buy your book or not buy your book. Like a lot of people, uh, a lot of people um, want to go to the library because they can't afford to buy all of the books that they can. So how do you get your book into retailers and libraries is through Ingram Spark. Um, there are opportunities, high opportunities for a lot of types of books to do really well being exclusive in um in the ebook 
side. And there, and there's a lot of reasons to be exclusive in the ebook side, because honestly, unless you're marketing hard to other retailers, most people don't see a lot of sales outside of Amazon. Again, unless you're marketing hard or you have an audience that, you know, for some reason all happens to be using nooks instead of, but these days, I mean, you, no matter what um, tool you're using, you can get the Kindle reader and all that kind of stuff. Um, that tends to be the case really with fiction authors, with authors who have books that are just voraciously uh, attacked by fiction readers. We'll see lots and lots and lots and lots of Kindle Unlimited. Other folks don't see so much on Kindle Unlimited, but you know you can always experiment with that. You can do Kindle Unlimited for 90 days or KDP Select, it's called on the back end, for 90 days and um, and be exclusive to Amazon. See how it went. And if you feel like, you're missing out because a big for nonfiction, especially y'all, you want your ebook distributed through as widely as possible so that it can get on overdrive so that it can be in the libraries. Because I believe for nonfiction, you're going to see for lots of books, you're going to see a lot of drive for um, the library. Um, but really, when it comes to, and there's no exclusivity uh, clause for print books on Amazon, i.e. you can put your book in other places. It's just a matter of you learning what tools to use and get it out there, um, unlike the ebook side. So my tool of preference and really the best and only option for self-published authors for the most part um, if you're distributing widely is Ingram Spark. And through Ingram Spark, your book can, can be made available in all online retailers, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, um, every bookstore, bookshop.org, um, and in all stores. They just have to be able to go in and look it up in the system by their ISBN and um and it can be ordered there. So um a lot for all the people who don't buy off of Amazon, you've just widened the uh the the possibility that someone will purchase your book by giving them other places to get it from. It also puts it um, in global places that um not everyone overseas buys Am through Amazon. In fact, I have a lot of friends in France and they do not shop on Amazon ever. So, you know. Well, so tell me some tips and tricks that authors need to know about successfully partnering with Ingram Spark to distribute their books more widely. There's a couple of things and I can send you um, first. It's it's key that you know how to set your book up. It's in, it's incredibly important that you know how to set your book up on the back end. There's some fields that are a little bit different than KDP and require some different things. And I have a tutorial on setting your book up on Ingram Spark that I'm happy to share with you as a resource. It's a free video on our Write, Publish, Sell YouTube channel um, that kind of walks people through, through the ins and outs of what the different fields need. Because one of the biggest things is the, the discount that you set up for retailers and the returnability. And I want to hit on this. Most stores want to see at least a 40% discount uh, be able to buy a book at a 40% discount so that they can make some margin of sale. That actually means that the discount on Ingram needs to be between 53 and 55% for US retailers because Ingram takes a 13 to 15% cut of that. So it, it, by making it 53 to 55% discount on Ingram Spark, that means the bookstores and librarians can buy it at 40%, which is, is pretty much the approved, whole, the normal wholesale. So um, that's one big thing to know and understand. And then the returnability factor. The reality is a lot of stores won't buy your book if it's not made returnable because they want to be able to feel reassured that if they can't sell it, they can send it back. Um, but here's a big mistake that we learned 
And that was, we normally make our books non-returnable because the expense of one return can eat away 10, the, the royalties that you make from 10 or more book sales. Imagine the expense of 72 returns in one month. I owed, we lost $500 in royalties and in even, thank goodness, she had sold a bunch of other books um, that made up the difference. But even so, at the end of the month, I still owed Ingram Spark $99 for the expense of those returns because you have to pay for all the stuff that goes in with those books getting returned. Um, so why did that happen? We believe that why that happened was because uh, this particular author was interested in having her books in bookstores and available before launch. So she requested that we make it um, not return, I mean, returnable so that these, this one bookstore could order, not having ever done it like this before. I didn't realize the repercussions. And to this date, can't tell you for 100% sure that this is what happened because they won't disclose this information. But having watched Amazon's actions through my traditional publishing house and seeing how they buy prior to a launch when there's activity, I'm pretty sure that what happened was because it was returnable and Amazon saw a lot of activity on her page because the author was doing her job and marketing her little tail off like she was supposed to, they placed a big order to meet their expected demand so that they can meet that two-day prime shipping by having the book in lots of places. And then after 90 days, when they were not able to sell all the books that they ordered, they sent them back. And I think she'd sold, uh, I don't know how many she'd sold, but 72 of them came back and that incurred a $500 loss. So the key thing to note, does that mean your book can never be returnable on, on Ingram? Nope. That just means in those early, and I would never put it returnable in the pre-order stage or in a month to two to three to four after um, in your biggest activity window, wait to work with bookstores until after that. It's actually to your advantage anyway, because bookstores like to see social proof. So once you have some reviews on it and see that it's selling other places, uh, that gives them a little more confidence. Um, but I would never, ever encourage anyone to put their book on returnable status um, in that pre-order window or several months afterwards to avoid people ordering a big quantity and then returning what they weren't able to sell based on their anticipated demand. And they have up to 180 days to return the books. And that can happen from any point in time that you put the, put the book on sale Um but if you wait six months, there's a the, the activity will have likely slowed down. And if the activity hasn't slowed down, then you probably are more likely to see those books sell anyway. So it's not as much of a concern. But it is in the in the pre-order window when you're sending lots and lots of people there. And I know this was a lot of data. I just did a whole podcast and went like into 30 minutes worth of specific details on this topic. If anyone is interested in it, I can share the link to that too. But um, so... What it boils down to, Becky, and I'm sorry, I've just been rambling on and on and on here, but what it, what it boils down to is you have to know and understand the tools and the platforms that you're using and what, what it is that they're telling you that you're doing when you're signing up to do this or you're signing up to do that. And some of this stuff, you're just not going to learn unless you hear it from a mistake that somebody else did or until you make the mistake yourself. And I'd say that's why I am a number one, like 
and such a great advocate is because I've been doing this for long enough now and trying so many things that good grief, I have made some incredibly painful mistakes. And my goal is to make sure other people, as many people as possible who can hear me screaming about these um, to say, don't do this, or this is what we think happened. So there you have it. All right, Alexa, as we come toward the end of our conversation, let's talk about a few challenges authors are facing with Amazon and some ways to overcome those. Okay, so the first one I would say is definitely this challenge of not having your book set up properly and having this issue with the orders and returns and all that kind of stuff. Um, If you set up your book properly, you're not going to have to deal with that. And some of you who are traditionally published may see large orders and large returns. So that's something, you know, to think about, but probably not something you need to worry about too much. One of the bigger issues that we're seeing right now is on copywriting and authors being literally booted out of KDP, their accounts literally being shut down. I just had the third person reach out to me and tell me this was happening. Um, In this case, she had filed cop. In some cases, it's because file copyrights have not been filed or Perhaps the the business end isn't set up properly or other reasons why they might do this. They're not providing any information to these authors. So we really have no idea what's why that's happening. And it's really scary. Uh, what I can tell you is to make sure that the back end is set up properly, where it offers you the information to put in your business information. If you have an EIN or anything like that, to make sure your tax stuff is set up properly, make sure the copyright has been filed for all of your books. Make sure if you've created an imprint that that is also listed as a DBA um, in your cam- Amazon account. Those are small things that can help you. So that's a big, a big challenge. And also just keep up with the news on what's happening. See if you, you can check out author advocacy groups like the author guild to see if there's any information happening um, on that. Um, Other challenges is just like uh, um, a big one is if people are telling you that they're buying your book, but you're not seeing the sales come through, what we've learned through lots of questions and emails and phone calls with Amazon is that when people return, you receive royalties when someone buys your book. However, when someone returns your book, you see no activity. You don't know that it's been returned. You don't have any royalties. Unlike this problem with Ingram Spark, you never owe Amazon for a return. They never even let you know that there's been a return. However, that means there's books in your inventory and you don't know how many books are in your inventory. And Amazon will just, when people place new orders, you don't get a new order. Amazon fills from that stock of books that they either overprinted in anticipation of sales or that were returned. So in some cases, it can be 5, 10, 15, 25, hundreds of books before you that are sold before you actually see another sale show up on your account. And they are not going to tell you how many are in inventory. Um, so that is super challenging. I don't have I don't have a correction or a fix for that. I just have the knowledge that it's happening. And um, and I would say, if you're not seeing sales and people are telling you, then continuously reach out to Amazon and see if you can get someone to give you any information. Um, but that's super frustrating. And why it's also good to look at other places that you might use like Ingram or um, other options for publishing. So what do you think about the data that Ingram provides about sales compared to the data <laughs> that Amazon provides? Well, I have a little bit more confidence in the data from Ingram and I see, um, we see that it's, that we're getting sales globally and those are broken down, Um, but it's still not broken down to who actually buys the book. You have no idea who's buying the book, whether they're coming for online retailers, whether they're coming from bookstores, it's just U.S. 
um, sales or or foreign sales. Um, I do know now how to how to determine if our book is selling in Target, and that's because there's extra fees that just get added in there that you're not expecting that sometimes put your book in the negative royalties. Um, and when we saw this for the first time ever, we reached out, and their customer support told us that that was because of um, uh, Target's buy to get one free deal or whatever. Apparently, the publishers split the cost on that, which Wonderful. So, um, you know, the data, again, when you look at it, you're going to see that you're having sales, but it's really, you're not going to know specifically where they are coming from, which can be a little bit frustrating. Wow. Well, I think that everyone who's been listening today can see that you are an amazing source of information, Alexa, (laughs) and an amazing advocate for authors as well. And my mind is just a little bit blown by (laughs) all the intricacies of possibly as we think about how to leverage Amazon more effectively as authors and also how to reach beyond Amazon to get more exposure for our books. So as we wrap up this episode, I'd love for you to identify one or two action steps that our authors could take today to expand the reach of their books. So it's, I mean, the biggest action step is just finding the places to get in front of the right readers and knowing where that impact is going to be. And for a lot of nonfiction authors, finding those right readers is finding the groups and organizations that already have those people in place and getting in front of them. So whether it's um, finding groups on Facebook with people of your area of interest, whether it's finding podcasts, whether it's doing... um, live events or going to uh, uh, events where you're talking about your topic, those types of things. Like the best thing that you can continue to do is to find new readers, to get in front of readers, to find influential people who will put put your book in front of their audiences by creating those relationships and, and, and having them share about your book and getting your book into the hands of people, as many people as you possibly can. So sometimes that means investing a little bit in a print run and handing out copies of your book. Um, but it it's worth it in the long-term return on investment. Um, so, you know, to me, that's all, if there, if time is an issue, spending the time that's going to get you in front of readers, whatever that is, um, it, it is probably your best use of time and energy always. Okay. So before we wrap up, Alexa, can you let our listeners know how they can stay connected to you and specifically how they can find out about your upcoming event? Yes. So so we're at, on all social, um, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, LinkedIn. You can find Women in Publishing Summit, Women in Publishing, at Women in Publishing or at Women in Publishing Summit, uh, womeninpublishingsummit.com. Um, is the main link to our website. We do webinars every month that are free of charge. We have our big conference coming up in just, oh gosh, nine days from this this point in time is still on early bird at $50 off. And um, so you can go grab it. The the price is going up on February 26th. So you've got a few days if you're listening to this um, on the 21st. And um, yeah, we, we, we invite you to come join our community, whether it's through one of our free events or following us on social media or any of those types of things. We really try to continuously bring information like this to help our authors make good decisions, make great connections and find the right people to be working with in their journeys to grow, especially, you know, and, and not just fiction, but nonfiction, children's book memoirists, like across the board. It's, it's a pretty amazing community. Thank you so much, Alexa, for investing time to share your expertise with us. For all who are listening, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another new episode. And if I can be of help to you in any way, you can email me. I'm Becky at weavinginfluence.com. Thank you. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Book Marketing Action Podcast. If you haven't already, I hope you'll buy a copy of my new book, Reach. Create the biggest possible audience for your message, book, or cause. When you buy the book, you'll unlock a free course of Reach resources with more than 50 additional learning resources available exclusively for those who buy the book. Find out more and find links to buy the book at beckyrobinson.com forward slash book. If you've already read the book, I'd appreciate an Amazon review. Thanks.